0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nelly. Our guest this week is Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse open mic continues with ASA's Ryan Finley next. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. From the Findlay Farm in Michigan through service in industry and now commodity group leader, Ryan Findlay is well versed in the challenges and opportunities for U.S. agriculture. Findlay says a loss of global markets brought hardship on the entire U.S. ag industry in 2018 and the turning of the calendar to the new year hasn't changed the financial storms surrounding soybean farmers.
1: It's not fun. It's painful. It's very difficult. Um, you know, when you talk to farmers and they're crying, that's that's a really difficult conversation to have. You don't want to see people lose their farm. You don't want to see people tell their children that they can't farm with them or that they're going to have to go find another job off the farm. We are in the middle of the storm. But that said, farmers know that the rain can be beneficial. It can hurt and it can it can sting a little bit, but it can also help grow, and I think we are all looking forward and trying to say, when the storm clouds part, are we going to be in a better position than we were before? How do we make it the best position that we can be? And that's really what we're trying to do right now is set us up for the future.
0: In the midst of the storm, you have farmers trying to make cropping decisions right now for 2019. And there are a lot of unanswered questions, especially following another big crop year, another big crop year from your competitors, and prices that are not as favorable as they might have been months ago.
1: You're absolutely right. And farmers need to sharpen the pencil, sit down, look at their specific situation. So what do futures markets say about commodities in their area? What what does the basis look like? what can they do to make 2019 successful for their farm? And it's, it's really tough when you see Extension put out publications that, that encourage you to plant one crop over another because you're going to lose less with that commodity than the other one. Sometimes it's, it's difficult when they're not talking about being in the black, but you're in the red. It's just how deep in the red do you want to be. When you enter a year looking at those types of numbers, it's very difficult.
0: So then thinking about farm policy that was approved in 2018, a new farm bill, both Senator Pat Roberts and uh, Representative Colin Peterson both suggested maybe not the best farm bill, but the best farm bill they could do under the circumstances. Do you feel like this policy is an adequate safety net for producers given the economic climate that you're in today?
1: Yeah, I think that the farm bill, is as it, it passed, is really going to provide A suite of options for farmers to manage their risk. And I think that's really important. So from crop insurance and ARC and PLC, even conservation to a degree if we look at that, all of these are risk management tools and it gives farmers to say, okay, I'm in this geographic area and these are all of the options that I have to manage risk in 2019, I think it's a strong piece of legislation, and it gives farmers the tools that they need to be able to manage that risk in 19. Now, that doesn't mean that 2019 won't hurt. It certainly could hurt, and it's not always going to guarantee that farmers are in the black, but it's providing the tools that farmers need to be able to manage the risk that they have.
0: So let's say that the U.S. and China fail to meet the March 1 deadline, and instead of an ending, we see an escalation to the trade war between the two sides. Will the farm bill be enough?
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a, That's a really difficult situation that farmers would be faced with. I, no, I don't think that the farm bill will be enough. Part of that is because we're talking about markets and how do to, how to market fundamentals impact what we grow. And so we're going to grow a commodity, and if we, if we overproduce on that, market fundamentals are going to send signals that, hey, we need to scale back that and, and go with something else. And when you have um, external variables that impact that, so if we have governments that are going to artificially impact the trade that would happen between two countries, then that's going to change that calculation that a farmer made. And the farm bill is based on the market fundamentals and allowing a farmer to make the decision that they need to based on, on the market. And so when you disrupt that, no, I don't think that the farm bill is going to be enough if we have an escalation of the trade war. And I think an escalation of the trade war is going to hurt all of agriculture. It will not be comfortable. And I think it will have a long-term tail for soybean production, certainly, but all of agriculture in the United States that will be more negative than positive.
0: There are some headlines that carry across the calendar year. So into 2019, we will still carry the steel and aluminum tariff situation. We'll still have a USMCA that has to come through not only our government, but others to be ratified. And then we end one year and begin the next talking about perhaps a bilateral relationship better with Europe and perhaps even with Japan. Just how critical is success in the trade arena to the success and the, the strength of your farmers?
1: Number one issue. The number one issue for soybean farmers is trade. And you just lined it up. It's all there. We we have to figure out how to address the issue the trade war with China that we need we need to take care of that and yet at the same time we need to make sure that we can diversify our export market how do we do that by increasing sales to Europe if if there is brexit and what that looks like how do we quickly engage with Great Britain. Certainly, Japan is important for soybeans, but also pork. And if we can increase our domestic consumption of soybeans here because it's going into hogs and we're going to export that to Japan, that would be awesome. And and on and on and on, all of the markets that are out there are important. And we have some major initiatives in front of us. USMCA is going to be Tough. I think it's going to be a little more difficult than people anticipate passing in 2019, but we have to get that done. I don't recall a time, at least in the last decade, where we had as many significant trade issues at one time as we do right now.
0: So then thinking about Europe, the leadership there suggests that they don't want agriculture to be a part of any trade deal between the two sides. And I realize that the European Union has been one of the customers that have stepped up to pick up U.S. soybean supplies. But in reality, there's a wide chasm of differences with our view of agriculture and of theirs. Should agriculture be on the table between the two sides? And does soy have a a mark that you could gain from those discussions?
1: Yes, I definitely think that. Agriculture should be a part of the conversations with, with Europe. I don't subscribe to that concept that if we put agriculture on the side of the table, we can negotiate everything else and, and leave agriculture aside. I mean, we need to be a part of the discussion. Everybody in agriculture should be advocating for that. I think it's important that we address some of the, the differences that are out there from a soybean perspective. Yes, we have increased our exports of whole beans to Europe, and hopefully that will continue to grow. Um, the ability to use U.S. soybeans and, and crush, or at least the oil from U.S. beans, in Europe for their biodiesel initiatives would be would be pretty helpful for both Europe and for the U.S. And, and that's a trade issue. They have a renewable energy directive called the RED initiative that uh, that we need to address and that's one of those little issues for soybeans that if we resolve that i think we could see some increase in in either bean or oil exports from the u.s to europe so yeah agriculture definitely needs to be a part of the conversation with europe and soybeans stand to benefit from that
0: in trade negotiations often we come to technology and those have been phytosanitary barriers that have prevented u.s access to markets so let's take this closer from the field to the fork, but it all comes together in that the USDA did offer, finally, uh, regulations for how foods that have bioengineered ingredients should be labeled. And inside that, it looks like uh, corn and soy may get a pass in the fact that if it's not a detectable ingredient, it doesn't have to appear on the label. Ultimately, we're talking about the acceptance of new technology. How important is that here at home, and how important is that in our relationship with our global customers?
1: I think it's really important. I think consumers uh, wanted transparency and that is the the focus that the the bioengineered disclosure rule is going to provide and honestly, I think farmers want to be able to provide that they want people to see this is a product that went through bioengineered process and has the same health benefits is everything else that you consume. There's no difference in, in the product and, and it's safe. You should be able to use that. And I think farmers want to be able to put that out there and and people can see it. And and I think if it contains the material that's genetically modified, then absolutely it should it should have that label. I think when you are selling a product that may be soybean oil, it may be sugar, it may be something else, it's highly refined that the genetic material isn't in that product, I think it's appropriate that that's excluded. So I wouldn't consider that a pass. I think it helps with the transparency aspect of it. We are going down the right direction right now in terms of being able to let consumers make the decision that they want, but also letting people know that the the ingredients, the food that they're consuming is safe.
0: It would be my opinion that the discussion over sustainability between the farmer and the consumer has helped the farmer to emphasize how important technology is. And certainly now we're approaching new levels of bioengineering with gene editing. And then the question is, is within the U.S. regulatory system, is there a structure in place that allows us to embrace these new technologies that can benefit not only environment but farmers and consumers as well?
1: I think that we are getting there, and we need to finish the regulatory structure in the United States that would – allow us to, to make sure we know what the rules of the road are for um, plant material going forward, whether that's the traditional GMO, if it is uh, new types of breeding, if it's gene editing, if it's traditional types of breeding. I mean, where does all of that land? What does that regulatory structure look like? And I think we need to update it and I think we need to encourage friends around the world to adopt similar standards as to what we establish or at least have the conversation with them so we don't run into trade barriers from breeding techniques. But I think this is really important, and I think globally people have looked to the United States to say, wow, that's you you really have a system to a degree where the envy of the world in how we regulate things, whether that's crop protection material or plant material. And, And I think. It's our time to to push regulation forward that would be beneficial, that's going to establish the rules for how we're going to breed in the future, and that's going to be important for farmers, for consumers, for the companies that work with farmers in developing this. All of that is important, and, and I really think in 2019 that needs to be a focal point that we not only – move forward here domestically, but we also have the conversation and push that conversation internationally.
0: Well, if there's any constant about agriculture is that it is a cyclical business. There are highs and there are lows. If there's any more constant, it is the need for technology, and ultimately you're competing for acres. You're competing for uh, crops and, and enterprises that allow farmers to remain profitable, If we start to turn off trade that lowers prices, if we start to turn off technology that helps farmers uh, produce more in a sustainable manner, then we start to build borders around an industry that needs to grow.
1: Absolutely. And that's the challenge that we're faced with. And it's not just that we're impacting here. We're also sending signals to competitors, and I'll call out Brazil and Argentina and, and our friends throughout South America, that are clearing land, they're clearing Serato, that scrub brush. If you look at the spectrum of cerrado from scrub brush to, to rainforest, they're clearing that and, and planting everything from soybeans to corn to cotton. And that's a challenge because if we're all operating under the same standards, then we can compete at a higher level than anybody in the world. But if we're going to box ourselves in, I think we're going to send the signal that South America needs to ramp up production. That's what we saw in 2018. I think there are indicators that will increase in 2019, and that's tough because that's part of this long tail. This trade situation is creating this long tail that is going to have um, an impact, and I think it's going to be negative, on agriculture into into the future. So how do we set ourselves up looking at agriculture everything and, and everything being conservation programs crop protection tools the seed and traits that we use today the the regulations that we have in agriculture how do we line all of that up to make american farmers really successful and we have some challenges in front of us but we have some opportunities as well especially in 2019
0: it was soybean farmers through their checkoff that grabbed themselves by the bootstraps and pulled up with biodiesel There's plenty of questions now if the Congress will visit the tax issue in 2019 and if we'll have a level playing field to compete. How important is biodiesel to the bottom line of your industry?
1: I think it's big and I think it's growing. I think we have possibly miscalculated the importance of biodiesel to soybeans and to agriculture in the United States in general. And I say that because we look at 2000. 19, 2020, 2019 especially, we're looking at just under 3 billion gallons in the, in the RFS for biodiesel. So we're around 2.8 is, is what we're aiming for. But that's just one component. And, and it's the idea that that 2.8 billion gallons is domestic and we're not importing it from Argentina like we have in the past. So how do we make sure that's domestically produced? How do we turn around and, and make sure that we have an opportunity to not only produce it, sell it, use it here, but produce it and sell it internationally? Again, looking at that European market. And then how do we make sure that this is a viable industry long term? For the last several years, we're playing this game of there's a tax incentive, this Blenders credit that exists, and, and Blenders don't know if they're going to receive it. It's been retroactive, and then it's been a year at a time. I love the fact that Congress had the discussion and put on the table a seven-year proposal that would phase out the blender's credit, but it it also provided certainty for seven years. It said, we are going to help the industry develop. You can invest, and you know that that you're going to have some incentives over the next seven years. You're going to improve your technology, and at the end of the seven years, then that that tax credit is going to be phased out. I, I think it's just... if, If we are able to move in early 2019 a tax package that would provide that benefit to biodiesel and we were to improve the RFS domestically and we were to address the European issue, I think biodiesel could be one of the biggest wins in 2019 for U.S. soybean farmers.
0: Would you be concerned about proposals that would eliminate the RFS and move the direction of the policy toward octane standards?
1: Yeah, I I don't think that's the direction that we need to go. I think that we have seen the RFS benefit agriculture, benefit consumers, benefit the environment. I just think it's been a strong success story. Now, does that mean it's perfect? No. Does it mean we can have the conversation about what are better ways to implement this? Sure, we should have those conversations. But by and large, I think most farmers will agree that the RFS has been beneficial to them.
0: Certainly, farmers can't control the weather. I don't know that you can control your government, uh, and you can't control those black swan events that appear from time to time. African swine fever has reared its head in what was at one time your number one customer, China. And there are tremendous fears about keeping that particular disease out of the U.S., So with a view to a situation that you can't control, how important to make sure that the livestock industry in the U.S. remains viable and that livestock production around the globe flourishes?
1: A few years ago, when I was working in Michigan, I sat through a a few presentations from entomologists and left some of those presentations almost scared for my life. It is incredible how easy it is for a pest or a disease to quickly spread around the world, not only within the United States, but around the world. And I think that has to, it, for most in animal um, production in the United States, that's a concern. I think from a, a disease standpoint, pest and disease standpoint for even plant farmers, that's a concern that we have to face. But African swine fever in China will certainly have an impact on their production, in China. We need to make sure that African swine fever does not enter the United States. We need to do everything we can to protect what we have, our our animal production here in the United States. The the livestock industry in the United States needs to be protected. But it potentially could be an opportunity for for pork farmers here in the United States and for soybean farmers indirectly that we need to increase the amount of exports of pork to China. So it's uh, you know a couple of different angles that we need to look at it and then one is disease is never good and we don't want to see that have a dramatic impact in China or have it spread to other parts of the world. The small upside and, and I, I certainly don't want us to cheer for that and I don't think that people need to be um, hopeful that we're going to see this dramatic increase in, in our exports to China because of it but there is there is a little bit of upside there from my understanding.
0: So Ron Finley we celebrate with you your first year of service to the American soybean farmers and American agriculture We look forward to the great things that will come from you and from your organization. We thank you for taking time from your schedule to spend with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you get the last word today.
1: Well, Jeff, I just want to thank you for the effort that you have done and many within the ag media industry at being able to keep this dialogue on all of these issues going. I think that's really important. And I think in 2019, it's about farmers continuing to push, and engage with this new Congress, it's difficult in politics in in the United States right now. And farmers historically have engaged in a bipartisan fashion. And we're going to have to step up and do that more now than we ever have before. And I think agriculture provides that perfect place for us to, to work in a bipartisan fashion. And yet we still need to think forward, push forward, and help American agriculture be successful in the future.
0: Our thanks to American Soybean Association CEO Ryan Finley, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Gowley.